0: Sometimes we have a day where every, like the Murphy's law day, where just everything that can go wrong does go wrong. And if I recall correctly, that was, uh, I know, I recall the end part of this perfectly well, but if I recall correctly, the prelude to this was that I went in for a chemo treatment, got hooked up, and the, the people who were supposed to deliver the drug didn't deliver the drug. And Getting hooked up was always a bit of an adventure for me because I hate needles.
1: Hello, everybody. This is Paul Critchley, president of New England Lean Consulting and host of the New England Lean podcast. Uh, I'm honored to have you all along with us this week as we welcome Adam Bernard to the show. Uh, so you likely don't recognize Adam's name because he's not, uh, he's not in our lean community. Uh, he actually has nothing to do with it. In fact, Adam is a music industry veteran and a lifelong martial artist who's been working in media since, uh, for about 20 years, since the year 2000. Uh, he's also a cancer survivor, and his memoir, Keembro, Embracing Beast Mode to Beat Cancer, was released this past fall via Dreaming Big. Publications, and I actually got to know Adam a couple of years ago via Twitter, uh, just because we share an affinity for our local baseball team, the Hartford Yard Goats. So we kind of hooked up there, and uh, I got to know him through that medium and became familiar with his story and all about his his journey with cancer, through cancer. Uh, and it was actually really inspiring. And when I saw that he announced he had written a book and that it had come out, I knew I had to have him on the podcast. Uh, and he certainly didn't disappoint. Um, I had him on really for two reasons. One, because for those of us who work you know, in healthcare, we, you know, obviously we work in the lean side of healthcare, I can say that we have a lot of work to do. And after reading Adam's book, A lot of the points he made and things he talked about were unfortunately all too familiar, and it's uh, it's disappointing, you know. But it also tells us that you know we still have a lot of work to do, because when you consider that uh, Lean's all about delivering value to the customer, and in this case customers are patients, and you have to take those things into consideration. It's not just about doing what you need to do for them; it also involves how you do it mentally psychologically Um, and that's the other reason why I wanted to have Adam on because he can speak directly to that and how it feels from the patient perspective uh, when things don't go correctly and even in the intro uh, the snippet that I used from the interview tells of you know he he showed up when he was supposed to he got hooked up with all the monitors and tubes and everything else that you need for chemo uh, only to find out once all that stuff was done they actually didn't have the chemo chemicals to give to him. So they had to unhook him up and all of the, you know, you think about all the waste that that creates for not just, you know, the nurses and Adam, but, um, you know, for everybody else that's involved in that value stream and then what extra stress it causes for Adam as a patient, you know, he's already going through quite a bit having, you know, he's fighting cancer, To have something like that happen. Um, And I think just mentally, you know, I think we can all empathize with that position. Um, I also wanted to have him on because I think there's a lot of parallels to be drawn between, you know, his experience and how he's developed himself and deals with the obstacles that life has given him. As well, you know, along with what we all deal with as lean practitioners when we undertake lean and lean transformation, because there's, um, you know, I I think people go through those stages. We want to call it the stages of grief or or just in dealing with change. Um, I think there's a lot to be learned from Adam on how he was able to dig deep and, and find it within himself to overcome those things. So. Um, I like I, you know, I really like where the discussion went with him, and I, I hope you guys enjoy it as well. Uh, finally, I did want to plug one thing. Uh, since the time that uh, I interviewed Adam, he announced that he's going to be a mentor for Immerman's Angels, which is an organization that hooks cancer survivors up with other folks who are, you know, going through it or are or, or caregivers. Uh, it's really, really important work, and I, I honestly I can't applaud Adam enough for taking that on, being able to share his story, and encouraging and inspiring others to to keep going, keep fighting. So, hat tip Adam, thank you. Um, that's it. I hope you guys like the episode. Talk to you soon. All right, so welcome to the New England Lean Podcast. As I mentioned in the intro, today we are honored to have. Adam Bernard. Adam,
0: how are, you? how are you doing? I'm not like most authors who have like a setup behind them of their books, so I'm just gonna like keep holding my books up. That's yeah. fine.
1: You, we can, we could just, I can <laughs> make it go. like a footnote or something.
0: Floating <laughs> bookshelf right here, and shameless self promotion right at the start of the show.
1: Right. Boom. That's fine, man. You can't see mine. Like I have a little bookcase back here. Mine's on the bottom shelf. You like, have like stacked. trophies
0: and awards back there. You've been running marathons. I can see it right behind you.
1: Uh, those are participant medals for obstacle course races.
0: It counts. So
1: I can't say I w- I've won any, but hey, I'm You've out there doing
0: them. it. You've earned them though. So this is true. That, that counts. I work hard
1: at it. I work hard at it. So thank you again, Adam, for agreeing to be on. I know you and I have, uh, you know, we've kind of interacted via Twitter for I don't know, a year or so. Yeah, so oh, I was wow. I was relatively familiar with your story. And then I saw that you came out with your book. So I got it. And it's pronounced by just FYI. So there will be some people who listen to this and some people who watch. So I will just say, I'm holding it up right now. And it's called Kimbro, not yes. Kembro, even though it looks like Kembro. But yeah. it's a play on chemo, which is a has been, unfortunately, I guess, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, a part of your life as of yeah. late.
0: Yeah. So, 2017 was, uh, was an interesting year. Yeah. And early 2018 was an interesting year. So to give people some, some background on Kimbro embracing beast mode to be cancer is that in January of 2017, um, I was invited to test for my fifth degree black belt in Kempo. i have been studying the martial arts for 30 years at that point. I'm 42. Uh, so I've been studying since I was a child. Now I've been studying it for 35 years. Uh, and you know, they tell you six months in advance before you're going to test because you really have to get ready. And three weeks after getting the invite, I was diagnosed with testicular cancer that had spread to one of my lungs. So I had surgery. I went through really aggressive chemo. I tested for my fifth degree black belt. Then I had another surgery and, uh, Then I competed in the CrossFit Open because everybody needs goals in life and everything that, you know, when you read the book, you'll see that even little goals, they help you along the way, no matter what you're going through. And I really want to show people that hurdles in life are meant to be jumped over. The positive mindset is really big that, you know, finding your inner warrior spirit. And I don't mean that on some like corny level. I mean, on a very real level, like a warrior spirit can be as simple as like, You're feeling like absolute crap, but you got out of bed. And that is the start of your warrior spirit on that day. It's not necessarily like, well, I'm going to lift a million pounds. It's no, some days it's I made breakfast. That's an accomplishment. That's awesome. But we need that in our lives. So hopefully I can inspire some folks to uh, continue to push through and get to that uh, light at the end of the tunnel.
1: So I wanted to, so thank you. And I want to delve into your story more, but so can you just tell me, uh, have you always been that way? Like, do you always kind of see, you know, opportunity and or silver line, however you want to put it, is that like make you tick or not so
0: much? That's a good question because I don't know if I can pinpoint when I became that way. I do know I wasn't always this way. Uh, I do feel not to not to promote another book entirely. Uh, bef- about a year, I want to say a year or two before my diagnosis, I had read *The Art of Peace* uh, by the founder of Aikido, um, and I'm not going to murder his name on this podcast. But it was called. It's called *The Art of Peace*. It's it's his teachings that were written down by one of his students because he never wrote anything down. Um, they're very small, bite-sized things. But for some reason, after reading it, a lot of them resonated with me, and I have been traditionally someone who does try to push through. Um, I'm definitely not a quitter, and I have a huge Type A personality in a lot of aspects in my life. Um, I'm, you know, if a door is closed, I'm going to open it. I'm not going to ask somebody to. I'm going to find a way to get in. So that uh, that also stems from being a journalist and having that journalism background of always finding a way to get the job done. Because uh, in journalism, or at least back in the day, I don't like, it's very different talking about journalism when I started in the late 90s, early 2000s, when there was no social media, and really very little internet versus today. But back then, a lot of people could close doors in your faces and you still had to get the story. So it may stem a little bit from that as well. And my, my background learning journalism, from my uh, professors back in the day at Hofstra university who were absolutely amazing. Gotcha.
1: Cause I feel like, so it, you know, so there's a couple of footnotes. So one, so at, to anybody listening when Adam talks black belt and it's Kempo, right? Kempo. Yeah. With an M yes. Kempo. Kempo. Uh, so a lot of listeners to this are six Sigma black belts, which is a totally different thing. That's like, it's a, it's, how do I want to explain it? It's uh organizational improvement based on statistical process control. So it's like straight up industrial engineering kind of, kind of stuff. Oh, so, no, this is
0: the black belt. This or, is like karate. <laughs> in right. the Shaolin temple. Yes. <laughs> yeah, right. So. Lifelong of study, forms, combinations, dealing with punches, dealing with kicks, dealing with weapons. Yeah, that kind of stuff. So,
1: yeah. So so in my world, you know, which is lean and Six Sigma organizational effectiveness, you know, it was born from the Toyota production system. So we have a lot of Japanese terms like kata, you know, and stuff like that. So it's there's some... Uh, parallels, I guess, there, because it's it's, the methodology is yeah. the same, but it's totally different worlds. But I just wanted to make mention, because if anybody missed you, you when you say you're a black belt, and they missed the karate part, it's like, oh, no, no,
0: no. Yeah. So anyways. martial so. arts black belt. Gotcha.
1: Yeah, which is yeah. more than fine. I mean, I, would I made it to green belt, belt in jujitsu before I kind of quit. So I'm like... I was going to say, it'd
0: be very much a white belt in your world.
1: <laughs> right. Well, yeah, but still. I mean... yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, so could you take us on a little tour? So you kind of alluded to it a little bit. You got, so you got, so here you are, it's what, 2017. Yep. You've been studying martial arts for 30 some odd years. You got the invite, like you said, and I think it, they, to test
0: for the, well, it's fifth degree, right? Black belt like that you are? Fifth degree was what I was t- testing for. Yeah.
1: And they do it two times a year.
0: Yeah. Right. They do it once. A, well, they did, but pre-pandemic. Hopefully, by the time people, like, get to listen to this and see it, and even if it's next week, hopefully we'll be able to do stuff again. Uh, but, yeah, pre-pandemic, it would be one test in the summer, one test in the winter. You were dealing with awful weather no matter what. You were either going to deal with oppressive heat or, or freezing cold, and we just sort of survived. Um, the tests are four-plus hours long. Yeah. Yeah. So.
1: I rem- there's no. I remember I tested for my green belt, and it was... It goes back a ways, but I want to, you know, even that was I don't know, maybe an hour or so where they run yeah. you up and back and up down the floor to make sure you know what you're doing. But yeah, so yeah. here you are, it's 2017, right? You've got your you're a freelance publicist,
0: uh, first journalist,
1: journalist, excuse me. Yeah. Um, love my publicist. <laughs> you've uh, all right. So you've got your invite to go to Black Belt. You've got your stuff together, more or less. And I think you're what, you're making breakfast one day.
0: And-, yeah. and then I felt the pain. I had, I mean, listen, doing the martial arts all my life, being a gym rat, being a crazy CrossFit person, I believe I waited at least three minutes before mentioning CrossFit. So that goes against the stereotype. Uh, <laughs> it, it just like, I'm used to little injuries here and there. You know, I don't get bothered by them. It's like, whatever, you know, rub some dirt on it, the old baseball adage and just keep going. And this, this was a little bit different. This was an extreme pain in my groin, and I just hit the ground um, and was like, whoa, that was, that was harsh. But still, I just said, you know what? Whatever, little groin strain, let's just keep going. But uh, another week or so later, it had still not gotten better. Like, normally stuff gets better. Mm-hmm. And it hadn't gotten better, and there was obviously something wrong. Uh, down there, I it got to the point where I could not sit comfortably. Which, by the way, if there are fellows out there listening to this, and they're having an issue where they can't sit comfortably, you need to call a doctor. Mm-hmm. Don't wait. Like I was an idiot. Like had I had I not waited, it wouldn't have spread to my lung. Uh, what I felt that day, I you know took the knee in the kitchen, was a tumor tearing and bleeding inside of me which in retrospect makes me feel like such a tough guy that I walked that off, but (laughs) not the brightest guy in the world, but a tough guy for walking it off. Uh, Yeah. And that, that sort of started, I did sort of, it did start um, all the wheels going in motion. And at that point it was just very, very fast to everything having to happen right away.
1: And that's a big change, right? So that's where, again, in my world, that's, you know, I, I teach and coach, a lot of organizations about how to manage change because you know lean or Six Sigma or ISO, whatever it is that we're engaged with can sometimes be a pretty big change for folks. And I like to say that it's not that people don't like change. It's like they don't like being changed. And in this case, you got changed. Like this wasn't anything you asked for. This wasn't anything you yeah. kind of did to yourself, like a muscle tear or anything like that. So here's this change thrust upon you. And like you said, it turns out, worst case scenario almost. And now all of a sudden it's, you know, you have to get surgery. Like it's not an option. Yeah. Right. And I read in your book, you talk about going to see different doctors. Now we do also in our business. So we do a little bit on healthcare, uh, on the healthcare side, your experience. I wanted you to, I want to ask it. you talk about it a little bit. Um, your experience is not unlike mine and it's not unlike a lot of the stories that we hear when we are talking to clients, when we talk to, you know, some nurses to say, you know, what would, what do you think the patient experience is like? Cause it sucks quite frankly, yeah. sometimes. So can you maybe walk through, like, as you're going through all this stuff, you've got some really great doctors and you've got some like not so great ones.
0: And can, yeah. from, just from
1: a patient perspective, can you talk about that a little bit?
0: Well, the one thing, uh, definitely from a patient perspective, it's important to find a doctor that you connect with on some real level because, there are way too many doctors out there who don't know how to communicate with people. And it's, it's a little shocking to me, and it was shocking to me when I was going through all this and I would go to these doctors who were very robotic, um, very, you know, they had the diplomas, they knew what they were doing, they were great at what they did, but they didn't put you at ease. Uh, they didn't ask any questions, which I, I thought was really weird uh, to just not care what maybe care is the wrong word, but to not recognize that what a person does, how a person lives, that these are really important things for a patient going in to something major like surgery, like chemo. Um, it's just, you need to understand the person. And it's not that difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mentioned in the book, the oncologist that I ended up using, it was a recommendation, although everyone's always a recommendation. And what really made me like him immediately was I sat down in his office. He looked up at me and goes, what do you do for a living? That was the first time anyone had asked me that.
1: Mm.
0: And I'm like, it's so basic. And it's this thing that makes it instantly relatable. It connects with a person like, oh, you care about me. Mm-hmm. You want to know something. I'm not just a graph to you. I'm not just a bunch of charts to you. I'm not just, oh, put these medications in him. You know, it did He's, we started talking about work a little bit and he still asked me whenever I come in, Hey, have you seen, well, not this year, but Hey, have you seen any good bands lately? And it, you know, it, it's a great thing when a doctor wants to know a patient as something other than simply what medicine they're going to put in him or what they're going to cut out of him or her. Mm-hmm. And it, it was really shocking to me. The, the lack of communication skills. Some doctors had now, listen, some of those doctors are still considered like the best in their field and that's fine. Uh, But anyone will tell you their doctor is the best. Now, obviously I'm very biased because I did a, (laughs) as you read, I did quite the interview process. That's what I considered it. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though it's something I had to get done and it's something that had to get done relatively quickly. I I asked straight up right away. I was like, Hey, do we have to start chemo right now? Or can I take a couple of weeks to, to find someone I want to work with? And they were like, listen, you know, we've seen your cat scan. You can take a month or two to find somebody that you actually want to work with. And that was all the help in the world. Obviously if they said, no, you need to do this right now, I wouldn't have been able to do this, but the second opinion and the third opinion, uh, are very, very valuable.
1: And I feel like, you know, cause I'm not a frequent flyer, you know, uh, medical type person growing up where I did and how I did, you know, I, f- we never went to the doctor unless you were physically bleeding out, you know, that yeah, like, little pains and stuff. And I'm the same way as you like, you know, run an OCR. I'm always hurt. Something always kind of hurts. And especially at our age, like I'm a little bit older than you, but I'm mid forties. Yeah. It's like, you know, half the time I go for a run, my foot hurts. It's like. Ah, you know, and it doesn't, I don't bounce back like I did 20 years ago. So it's not gone in a day or two. It's like a couple of months sometimes, you know? Um, and I'll tell you, so my story a little bit, I'll share with you is um, my, I lost my mom to cancer. She was pretty young. She was 56 lung cancer. Yeah, sorry. She was one of five kids, four of them. It was cancer. The fifth one got electrocuted. Oddly enough, that was a whole different story. So, so my story is I had a, uh, a a little cancer scare on my prostate like years ago. And I had a very similar experience to some of the ones you ex- you uh, outlined in your book in that the doctor just didn't really seem to care. You know, I remember there's this one guy. so uh, so long story short, it turned out to be a cyst. It was not cancerous thank, you know, That's but it I was scared the crap out of me because yeah. here I am. I'm like, at the time I've, you know, married, I got two little kids, you know, half my family have gotten wiped out by this disease. The urologist I'm working with knew this. And so he's, we're looking at the MRI in his office and he's like, he throws it up on the little shadow graph thing. And he's like, yeah, that's not cancer. And I'm like, well, how do you know? And again, I'm a mechanical engineer, so I'm very data driven, you know, so that's half of it. The other half again is I've lost a lot of family members to this. And he looks right at me and he goes, well, whatever. 30 years of experience tells me that. And I'm like, okay, I get that. Yeah. yeah get-. And it's I'm it's like, I even plans, said, I'm like, doc, that's silly. I'm like, you can help me out. Like, I'm like up at night losing sleep thinking this is, you know, just give me something, help me out. And, and when you wrote about that in the book, I had, I put it down for a minute because all that stuff came back and that was, you know, 10 years ago. I'm like, so it's not just me. You know,
0: it's no, it's, it's not. And I think a lot of people probably do think that when they're in a doctor's office or they'll think, oh, this is just the way things are done. And it, it doesn't have to be. There, there are great doctors out there who are also great personalities. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it just you, you take the time to find them and it's totally worth it.
1: Yep. And I liked how you out again, because you went through, I don't know, four or five, you know, at the various Right times. But I liked how you put it when you're like, when you said, I'm not just like you just said too. I'm not just a graph. I'm not just a number. I'm not metric what in my world, it would be metrics. So you look in, okay, what's, what's your white blood cell count? Okay, yeah, it's good or bad. And that's it. It's, you know, let's engage you as a person explain not only what i'm going to do but why it's important how it'll affect you specifically as a crossfitter and as a you know 5th degree black belt like it's you know, you know cuz you don't ride a desk all day it's it's different you know and that's where you know like in our business we try to do it the same way where you know we we engage each client a little bit differently because same thing every company is a little bit different the systems the tools the processes those are all the same you know lean is lean 5s is 5s but how we apply it and and you know how we do it we try to tailor just and that's what spoke to me in your book because i'm thinking about our healthcare clients and i'm like there's so much parallelism if that's it's a word between the two and it's like why can't more doctors why can't more organizations approach things that way because i think it at the end of the day it would be better for everybody
0: yeah i mean and as you said it's like i was sitting there as a cancer patient but also as someone who works out six days a week as someone who hasn't had fast food or soda in like 18 19 years this is not soda this is a sugar-free energy drink uh, which i'm sure is poisonous too don't worry uh but like you can't just say, Oh, you have cancer. It's like, well, I'm totally different than the next person who sits at McDonald's three days a week,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, I, and I'm totally different from someone who I don't know, is a power lifter. Whereas I'm a martial artist and I'm a crossfitter. Like we're all a little bit different. And I get that chemo is chemo, but how we react to it is going to be across the board. You can just, right. you don't, you can't say how one person will be is the exact same as how the next person will be. We have totally different backgrounds, totally different lifestyles, totally different needs in life. I mean, as a freelance journalist, when the first doctor was like, Oh, you need to take off two months from work. I was like, do you know what the word freelance means? Like, (laughs) do you understand that? And yeah, it was just,
1: Well, there's a quote in your book. Um, I think sums it up pretty well. Uh, page 132 for people uh, reading along at home. This guy was what I refer to as a textbook doctor. He had all the textbook answers ready, but didn't understand that every person is different. Quite frankly, I'm not sure he cared. I think he felt his job was to cut people open, fix what's wrong and sew them back up. We weren't people to him. We were humans and notches on his medical belt.
0: Yeah. How sad yeah.
1: though, is that, that you, you know, somebody, cause here's this expert and they, he made you feel that way. I think that's, crummy to put
0: it and a recommended expert someone would be like oh this guy's the best and it's like oh yeah. like it, they're when they make you feel like a science experiment rather than a person like you're just on a slab and it's biology class right it's like no 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 no. i don't want to feel like your eighth grade frog like
1: so <laughs> i don't ask- think your eighth grade frog made it either so no I prefer- probably not mine didn't so let me ask you, how did you decide? I mean, was that a conscious decision you made going into this? Like, like I'm going to talk to these people and, and I want to find the right fit for me or like, how did that evolve? Was that your dad? Cause I know your dad was with you through a lot of these things, right? To Yeah. My you- dad helped
0: me out a lot throughout this. My, my parents, um, thankfully they only live like one town away and, uh, they really helped the fort down in terms of being, rocks in the best possible way because uh, like the hardest thing is like telling I'm an only child is telling your folks that you know hey by the way your one kid could die mm. um, through no fault of anybody's uh, so they really kept a, a great foundation for me and my dad had worked as a lawyer in the pharmaceutical industry for 30 years so um, after my initial stuff which I went to by myself because I didn't know what the heck was about to happen to me uh, <laughs> he came to some of these what I, I call them meetings. I know doctors call them appointments. I considered them meetings. I immediately considered them interviews after I met with the first oncologist that I did not go with, because it just it seemed like an interview process um, on my part. I needed to know more about them so I could be comfortable with them. Mm-hmm. And when the first one didn't work out, that's when I sort of it clicked in my brain of okay, this might take a little while to find the right person, but I'd rather do it that way. I I knew physically, uh, I didn't stand to get any, it wasn't going to make me any worse. I was already in the situation I was in. It was not going to get worse if I took a couple weeks to just find the right doctor and God willing, it was going to be someone somewhat local. And thankfully it was someone less than 10 minutes down the street. Mm. Nice.
1: So, all right. So you go through the testicular cancer thing, right? You get operated on things. Go fine. You're in recovery. Um, nope. And I know, you know, have from, again, my mom going through kind of the thing with my mom. So you're getting checkups after the fact, you know, did we get it all cat scan, blood tests, poked and prodded all kinds of stuff. Right. And, <laughs> and then, yeah, which right. Yeah. Obviously sucks anyways, but, I got to believe at that point, you're thinking, all right, well, they cut it out of me. I'm good. You know, hopefully I'm pretty good to go. I'm feel you know, you're getting back to it, right? You're, you're crossfitting again, even though you're kind of taking it easy. They do another CAT scan and say.
0: Yeah, they were like, so the chemo worked. You're cancer free. But the tumor is still there and it's growing. And this is
1: on your lung now.
0: Yeah, this is the one on my lung. So I'm like, so wait a minute. I'm like it went from being a cancerous tumor to being like clean tumor. Like, how does that even happen? They're like, ah, it happens sometimes. I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I'm sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, can we wait this out to see if it goes away, or you know, at least doesn't it stops growing? Mm. Uh, but it wasn't, and the the only option was to cut it out. And it, it was <laughs> it's interesting because that was one where time was a little more of the essence. Although when I finally, after speaking with some surgeons, met with the surgeon, I was going to use, and he wanted to like schedule it immediately. And I was sort of like, Hey, does it have to be scheduled immediately? And he said, you know, we could wait a week or two if that's what you want. And I'm like, yes. Cause I want to get my, you know, my stuff in order, my house in order, work in order. So you know, I was smart enough because when you read the book, you'll see I wasn't very smart after the first surgery of realizing what I could and couldn't do right away. So this time around, I wanted to make sure I had a lot of stuff done. You know, even simple stuff, just like I want to clean my place. So when I come home from surgery, I have a clean home.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It sounds silly, but it makes such a huge difference. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so that that was the one where I was like, all right, he's like we'll schedule it for, you know, a week or two from now. And we did that. And I actually had a chance to do things correctly that time around.
1: Nice. And I think, well, I know you said it sounds silly, but it actually kind of, it kind of doesn't because, you know, I think it makes a lot of sense. It's like, you're going to have to go into this thing feeling, you know, like you have some control over, you know, over the things you have control over, you know, because a lot of your life at this point is not in your control right? And you have to rely on other people. And you talk about that in the book about asking, you know, relying on other people, asking other people for help, which isn't something that you were used to doing. It's not something I was just, I'm used to doing either. So I could really relate to that.
0: I'm still bad at it too. Like I have to admit that that, that's one part where I wish I could take my own advice a little more often. Yeah. Uh, It's not wrong to ask for help. The reason we have friends is because they want to be there for us. And I I don't know about you, but sometimes when uh, I I'm oftentimes the person that's there for other people. And I feel sometimes when we have that role, we want to keep that role. Mm-hmm. And we feel like we can no longer have that role as you know that emotional rock that can help everybody if suddenly we need somebody else. But guess what? We're all people. We're all human. We're all going to have ebbs and flows of emotion. We're never going to be just one way. And that, that's okay. And that's some stuff that I'm still working on for myself of just being okay to say, Hey, you know what? I need someone on this one. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think working out in a, in a CrossFit atmosphere has helped out a lot too. Um, because, you know, we root each other on stuff like that. And, uh, obviously the martial arts is is big with that too, in terms of helping others and getting help from others. And, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone starts as a white belt. So you're, you're getting help from the start. Right. Hopefully, Hopefully, as I continue to grow and mature at 42, <laughs> I,
1: can,
0: <laughs> I can make that happen. At 42, with with the Mad Magazine and the Godzilla in the background here in my office. Yeah, and that's all right. Of, so.
1: But yeah, I'm, I'm totally mature. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's, hey, it's a lifelong journey, right? Yes. I don't, yeah, we all, you know, I think everybody has those kinds of things they get to work through. Um, so I wanted to ask, so, so. There's one chapter in your book, and and I loved the way you set it up. By the way, that your chapters were pretty short, you know. So it was like, it was it was easy. I won't say easy to read, but it was easy to read. It's like, you know, um, there's one chapter. I forget exactly what it's called, but it was like the your one "woe is me" moment. Yeah. Um, can you just chat about that a little bit? Kind of where were you? You were mentally.
0: Yeah, that was a really, the like. Sometimes we have a day where every, like the Murphy's law day, where just everything that can go wrong does go wrong. And if I recall correctly, that was, uh, I know, I recall the end part of this perfectly well, but if I recall correctly, the prelude to this was that I went in for a chemo treatment, got hooked up, and the, the people who were supposed to deliver the drug didn't deliver the drug. And Getting hooked up was always a bit of an adventure for me because I hate needles and I will never get used to it. So the the nurses used to kind of like laugh and have a great time whenever I I would come in and just start dropping F-bombs every time a needle came near me. Uh, They they loved it, which was good because it really calmed me down that they loved it. So, but there were times where, you know, I would be getting blood drawn and they would just hear an F-bomb come out and I'd hear a voice go,
1: Hey, Adam's here. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: like, all right. So that, so they had to unhook me up and they were like, all right, but you know, the next day everyone is going to be at, you know, a specific hospital rather than the, you know, the office. Listen, the difference was a 10 minute ride and a 15 minute ride. No big deal. So... It's a dark day, it's kind of drizzly. I go to my car and it doesn't freaking start. So I'm already like, all right, the day before I had to go in get all this stuff put in me. This day I'm coming in, the car doesn't even start. Like I had people in my building. I live in a complex that had offered to give me rides, but of course this was after everyone had gone to work already. So uh, thankfully, my folks were home. And I was like, hey, what are you doing today <laughs> around now-ish? And uh, I got a ride to the hospital and, and got the stuff done a little later than I wanted to, which, of course, rearranged the whole day. But yes, standing there with the car not working, having had the day before's experience going on, I was just, I was heated. I was just like, you've got to be kidding me because we, we have those moments in life where we're trying to do everything right. And we think we're doing all we can correctly. And it just feels like the universe says that ah, I don't care. I'm like, <laughs> like whatever, I'm still going to throw this roadblock in your way. And yeah, that's the one time I kind of allowed myself to feel sorry for myself, but it only lasted until later that afternoon when uh, a triple came and replaced my car battery.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. So how, so the reason I brought that up is, um, Because I feel like, and again, I'll relate it back to kind of what I do. Um, There is a little bit of loss of control, a little bit sometimes that, that, you know, from an organizational psychology standpoint, sometimes we have to help people get over. But there's also those times when, just like you had that day, where, you know, people sometimes hit the wall of, you know, I didn't ask for this. I don't necessarily want this. It's, I can see that it's going to happen anyway. And they kind of hit that mental brick wall of just everybody stop, like just stop everything for just, you know, for some time because I can't handle it all right now. So what did you, was there anything you did or said to yourself to like snap yourself out of it?
0: I don't know if it's anything I did or I said. I I know that once I was finally there, I felt a little bit better about things because I was finally getting it done. But uh, I do remember, and I have to give credit to my friend Conscious um, for this one, because I used to get like super angry when the internet would go down uh, and I couldn't get anything done. And one day he just said to me, he's like, you can't change that, man. He's like, there's no reason to get angry about it. You can't change it. And ever since then, whenever the internet will go down, I just feel like, all right, I guess I'm going to read a book. Hmm. You know, I I guess I'm going to work on something else that I can do with a pad and pen, you know? And that does in some of those situations where it's like, okay, I can't do anything about this. Nothing I do, nothing I feel in terms of anger, which is a really wasted emotion most of the time because um, it, it does nothing to help us. Um, I, I often think anger is frustration without any thought, like at least frustration. You can be constructive. Like I, I don't see anything constructive about anger. So I sort of get into my own brain and like, Hey, you know what? It's raining. You can't stop that. Your car battery died. Nothing you can do about that. You have to wait for a ride. It is what it is. Rearrange your day. This is what it is now. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's helpful in terms of just being able to just calm down and say, Hey, you know, there are some things we have zero control over and just have to deal with it.
1: It's, uh, it's int- Yeah. And it's interesting because I see it and I do the same thing. Like I struggle with that, uh, that kind of stuff. Cause it's, you know, doing what we do. It's like, we're a busy family and I'm a freelancer kind of sort of too, you know, I'm a consultant. So when I got to be somewhere, I got to be somewhere. And it's like, I don't have time for this right now. And my wife is continuously reminding me of just what you said, which is if, you know, and I hear, honestly, I hear my mother's voice in my head because she used to say the same thing, which is if you have no control over it, there's no sense in getting upset about it. Cause what the, what the hell is that going to do? Nothing. It's going to make you Upset and you know, but it's not going to get you any closer to your end goal.
0: No, it's going to raise your blood pressure and uh, make you feel awful and really make you not likable to anyone around you at that point in time. No one's going to want to help you out if you're angry. So center yourself, calm down, breathe, and just say, Hey, okay, this is the day now. Let's make the best out of it. You know, okay, I can't do this right now. I'm going to do something else right now. I'll do that later. It'll all, at the end of the day, it'll all get done. Just not in the order I thought it was going to get done in.
1: Right, right. So there's one thing in your epilogue too that I, it rang very true for me. Um, You talk about, there's three things that you kind of recommend for folks. One is create goals for yourself. Second, recognize all of your accomplishments no matter how small and allow them to snowball and the third one is if you're going through something, whether it's physical, mental, or emotional, tell your friends and family about it. Yeah. So I'll just open it up, Adam. If you want to expand upon all or any of those, I'd love to hear because I and then I'll tell you why I why it spoke to me.
0: Well, the goals obviously helped me through in terms of I was, I guess, lucky enough at the start to already have the goal. Of testing for my fifth degree black belt and earning it. So my goal, my first goal, was sort of ready-made, built in, and because of that, my other goals became continuing to work out every day, and you know, continuing to train, and continuing work, because um, I wanted that sense of normalcy, which is so big in life that you know it's it's a very underrated aspect of life, especially when you're going through something and. Well, whereas I went through cancer, you know, there's depression and a whole bunch of other things people go through We're just like, the slightest bit of normalcy is so important. So that also became a goal. And then uh, recognizing the accomplishments, because guess what? When you're going through chemo or post-surgery, you're not gonna be doing as well as you were before. And that's one of those things you sort of have to get through your head. Uh, one doctor I spoke with had worked with athletes and that was very helpful. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping that in the coming year, I'm going to be start doing some, uh, I'm going to start doing some like peer to peer mentoring with uh, other cancer patients. And sometimes athletes who are going through cancer just to help them through and show them what they can do um, through all this. But some of those little, little things, even if it's, you know, just surviving a workout, even if you're not lifting what you used to lift, that can be so huge. But quite frankly, um, that first morning after my initial surgery, getting out of bed was like a literal accomplishment, not an emotional accomplishment. I had a bunch of stitches right along my waist. And I was so ridiculous. I didn't realize that it would be hard to sit up. Hmm. So it took a lot of tries to get out of bed. And that was also uh, the last day I ever used that little silly little lock, which is the uh, the chain that you put on the door that oh, will yeah. stop no one if they just push it hard enough. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, Because my main thought was like, oh, great. I'm taking like 10 minutes to get out of bed. And even if I were to call someone for help, they'd have to bust that thing down to get in. Mm-hmm. Uh, my neighbor has like, you know, I have various keys with various neighbors. So, you know, just in case I lock myself out, but it wouldn't have mattered. I just would have been stuck in bed. <laughs> so that was just a huge accomplishment. And once I got out of bed, I was like, cool, what can I do next? Hmm. And I just, I let those snowball and it could have been as simple as I made breakfast. I did not know I could do that that day. I think far too often in life, when we ask someone what they did during a day, whether it's a loved one or a friend, or even just the casual they that oftentimes they're like, "And eh, nothing And it's like, no, like, look at what you've done during the day. You've done a lot. Even if you think you've done nothing, you know, you've done things during the day. If you are showered with your, you know, clean dental hygiene, you brush your teeth, you've flossed, you've made breakfast, you know, you've gone and gotten the mail, you've done things no matter how inactive you think you were. And if you start recognizing that um, it's really important and big for your, just your emotional well-being. Uh, I I was telling another patient, um, unfortunately, it was someone who got diagnosed after me. And she was saying how it was, she had no idea how it was working out this whole time, because it was a challenge for her to get to the mailbox. And I said, did you get to the mailbox? Well, yeah. I'm like, then you accomplished something today. Maybe tomorrow you'll walk one house further down and then get your mail. And then the next day, two houses further down. So you allow that to snowball. You're not saying, I'm going to run a marathon. Mm -hmm. No, you're going through chemo. All sorts of crap is happening to you. But even if it's those little steps, those tiny little accomplishments, all of a sudden, like two weeks later, maybe you're walking three blocks. And it's so good for you to feel that and to know that you're doing something for yourself. And then the third one was telling friends and family. And I learned right away that that was just such an amazing thing to do. I put up a post on Facebook the night I was diagnosed and just the outpouring of support. Um, Some from casual acquaintances who became very good friends. And I immediately found out a few friends had gone through the same thing, but never talked about it. Mm. So you really, as much as we know and love our friends, there are things about them we don't even know. Um, especially when it comes to medical histories. So whatever you're going through, someone you know is probably going through it too, has gone through it, or knows someone else who's gone through it. And with that whole six degrees of separation, which is a very real thing, you're going to find someone who can help. And it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing that more people don't I don't know if it's that they don't trust their friends with it, or if they think they're going to bother people by saying they have a problem, but you're not, you're not bothering the right people. The right people in your life are not going to be bothered. I'm not talking about, you know, I burnt my toast problems. I'm talking about, you know, diagnosed with something awful, you know, had an injury, had a death in the family, you know, these things that inherently make us human and that connect us all. Uh, we all go through these things and just talking about it, you will find people who will help you through. It. And sometimes it, it happens in the most surprising places. Right. I think I just and, talked about like 80 minutes in a row. No, no,
1: it's, it's more than fun. You've earned the Trust me, Adam, you've earned the right. So, <laughs> but so I'll tell you, so the re, I like the way you broke it down, you know, especially, so again, goal setting for us is like, step one or two, you know, it's like, okay, organization X, Y, Z, what do you want to do? Cost, quality, on-time delivery, uh, time before you see patient or whatever it is, whatever metric it is. You know, we spend a lot of time talking about what do you want to measure and then how do you want to measure it? Um, Sometimes we help with strategic planning, which is, okay, next year we want to do this and our three or five year plan looks like that. But your analogy that you use is, you know, you don't have to do it all in one shot. You can like build a ladder and it's one rung at a time. And this is something I, I promote, you know, both with our business and, and, and like, even on this podcast and last season, I talked to a lot of folks about it where I think sometimes people get so wrapped around the axle of what they want the end result to be that they forget there's five, 10, a thousand steps in between there and here. And sometimes it prevents them from starting at all Sometimes they just get overwhelmed and they think I'm never going to get there. Sometimes they start and it's a lot farther away than they thought and they quit. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. So reading how you broke it down, and I know you're not, right? So you, you're a freelance journalist and you cover, you're in the music industry, Yeah. right? You have nothing to do with manufacturing widgets, right? Yeah. And no. I'm like, I read your book. I'm like, here's this guy who he gets it this is this is the same exact stuff that i see people struggle with in an organizational standpoint a a company standpoint and it's like how do we and that's why you know your messaging was so meaningful because i'm thinking how do we as a society of human beings all together how can we help promote this thought process of if it's better tomorrow than it was today, I win. And then I just keep yeah. doing that. And if it's, hey, I made breakfast today. Hey, I went to the mailbox today. Like, that's OK. That's an accomplishment. It doesn't yeah. have yeah. to be, you know, I hit a home run in game seven of the World Series. Yeah, and... that's not going to happen every day.
0: Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Also, you'll never hit a home run in game seven of the World Series if you're not taking batting practice, like you you have to go through the steps to get there. Like you have to learn how to swing. You have to, you know, learn how to swing from live pitching. You have to learn how to hit a curveball. You know, you have to go up through the minors. It's all steps. It's great to hit the home run in game seven, but that guy spent his entire life getting there. And he wasn't mad every morning that he wasn't playing in game seven of the world series. You know, sometimes he was, in a cheap motel in like Toledo getting ready for the next day's game. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. And And that's why I like, uh, you know, I'll bring it back to your mental. It's the word I'm looking for frame of reference. You know, it's like, okay, this sucks. I don't, and I'm paraphrasing. This sucks. I don't like this. I don't want this, but I got it anyway. So, Here's what's going to happen, you know? And like I said, there's, and I see it all the time. And, you know, there's this loss of control and and people struggle with that. Um, And that's why I wanted to ask you, like, how do you mentally, like, like get there? Is it always just been your way or, and I liked what you said, you you know, you eventually hit a point where it's like, listen, I can't control this stuff. So, you know, yeah. Yeah,
0: Yeah, it's just control what you can. Uh, I'm someone who's just, fiercely independent to um, only child, live by myself, freelance so I'm self-employed. It's just one of those things where I'm very self-reliant, sometimes to a fault where again, as we mentioned before, you know asking your friends for help can be difficult but necessary. Um, in terms of having the frame of reference of just saying, hey, you know, I'm gonna make this work. I pretty much yeah, that, that's pretty much been me, my, most of my adult life of just, you know, dealing with stuff. That's, that's what being an adult is at this, it's dealing with stuff and you don't control the majority of it. So what you can control in your life, you control. I mean, I have friends with multiple kids, believe me, they don't control much in their own lives, but what they can control, they do.
1: (laughs) Right. Right. And, and that, you know, your third point about asking, you know, asking for help is also same thing valid because, you know, I see it too. Or people are like, "No, no, no, we can do this on our own." Or I, you know, people who are working on a shop floor or working in a ward somewhere, they're like, "No, I can do this. I can handle it." And you know, with the best of intentions, they all believe it and they all really want to. But sometimes it's it's not. You know, if you look at it from the next level or two up you know, from the 30,000, it's like, you can see that that's not going to happen. And it's by no fault of their own, because there's not the processes, procedures, systems in place that allow them to be able to do those things on their own. If those, those things were true, then a hundred percent, they ab- they absolutely could. But when the deck is stacked against them, you know, that's when that communication. And just like you said, you had friends that went through this and you didn't even know it. Yeah, you know, there's other people in organizations that have the same struggles, the same problems. Like, and, uh, an old manager of mine used to have a saying called none of us is as smart as all of us. Meaning I like that, you know, open your mouth and say it because, and then, yeah. you know, you get some good ideas that, Hey, maybe you and I wouldn't, wouldn't even think of.
0: Yeah. I like that a lot. That's great.
1: Feel free to, you need to put that
0: using. on a t-shirt or something. It's,
1: <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll get oh, some excellent. new England lean merch. <laughs> So, Definitely. Adam, I want to take a, I, we always like to take a little bit of a break in the podcast and uh, play something I call the wicked fun part where I just hit you with some like kind of rapid fire questions, okay. which are wildly off topic. So is that okay?
0: All right. I'm off topic.
1: All right. Well, it kind of, it is relatable, but yeah, you know, cause, but anyways, um, here's one that was very Adam, right. Very Adam centered. What's your favorite song and why?
0: oof i have way too many favorite songs that pick one favorite song because i like i literally this is interesting timing for you to ask that because today i just published my like 10 must hear albums of the year and they range of like pretty much every genre hmm. so my favorite song this is such a cop-out answer my favorite <laughs> song Bird. completely depends yeah, we yeah. play Freebird. Uh, but it completely depends on my mood.
1: That's completely. fair, though. That's fair. I, hey, I have the same thing. I have like, yeah, I will get. I do the same thing. It if depends we're going on what
0: the best song. If we're going for the best song, there, I, I will accept a lot of answers. But Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody usually ends up like making its way to the top. There's just something about that song that's inherently amazing. And if you don't sing along to it every time it comes on the radio in the car, there's something wrong with you,
1: right? We can't be friends anymore if that's true, exactly. right? How about inspiration? What inspires you? Ooh,
0: that's good. Um, my, what inspires me is sometimes just the. Uh, ooh, I don't want to sound corny when I say this. I, <laughs> I, I'm very inspired simply by wanting to do more with life and in life. Uh, I, I don't know if I mentioned this during the podcast or before it, of, of wanting to work with other cancer patients who are going through stuff. Like the next part of my life, it'll still involve writing and journalism and, and music, but I also wanna pay it forward in terms of me being alive and wanting to help other people continue to live and and get the most out of life. So my inspiration at this point is basically just continuing to try to be the best person I can possibly be. And sometimes I'm going to fail at being the best person I can possibly be, but I think I'm getting it right the majority of the time.
1: (laughs) Well, I think you did mention that. And I think you absolutely should do that because I think you're, you know, having written this book which i give you credit for i just uh, announced i i co-wrote one years ago but i'm going to write one just on my own and it's a daunting like goal to have so i give you a lot of credit doing all the other stuff that you've done going going through what you've gone through <laughs> right. and putting it in print you know just to go through that so i think your story is powerful very and and it's so relatable um i think you absolutely should i think you'd be doing a disservice if you didn't so yeah. To, for what, it's worth. It forward. Uh, what quality do you admire most in others?
0: Ah, uh, there are quite a few. Uh, I think, I mean, passion is such a great quality. And I mean that in all of its forms. Uh, the, the biggest form just, I mean, a lot of my friends are musicians and I see what they go through for their art. Uh, I I'm friends, a lot of indie artists, they have to work in what would be considered a traditional nine to five, and then do the thing they love. And that level of passion is just really amazing. And I, I feel it, I understand it. And it's just something I respect so much. And on, on the flip side of that, I just, I can't respect when people don't go for their goals. Cause when I see others, are willing to put in these full days at a a job that they really don't care that much about and then spend the rest of their time working on this thing they absolutely love like you have to go for that thing you love even if it never makes you money Hmm. it gives you something else it gives you I don't want to say purpose because we all have a purpose in life regardless but it does something for you emotionally mentally And when someone has that kind of passion, it's just a real beautiful thing.
1: Nice. And I agree. I mean, I agree with you. We're only, we're only here for a short period of time, some shorter than others. Right. So it's not worth not pursuing your dreams. Right. Yeah. There are enough
0: hours in the day. There really are. Or at least in the week. Right.
1: (laughs) Last one. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the
0: pearly gates? Good job. I, I just, you know, I come. To, hey, good job. That's hmm. that's kind of the most I can I can hope for. If I if I get up there, he's just like, yeah, you know, good job. Like, all right, I live my life correctly. That that's what I was trying to do. Good answer. That's I a- like it. So,
1: Adam, if, um, and we'll link to your, to the book and your Twitter profile and everything in the show notes. Um, But if, if people, if there, do you have any other ways that people can get a hold of you or, you know, other web pages or anything like that?
0: I would say definitely the best way is uh, Twitter. I do respond to all uh, at mentions that aren't offensive, Uh, (laughs) that aren't offensive, that aren't political. Right. Uh, so yeah, at Adam's world blog, um, that's my Twitter handle. Um, I do respond and I respond very quickly and I respond to DMS as well. If someone, you know, has an issue like cancer and doesn't want to be super public about it, I will absolutely respond privately. And yeah, actually, I mentioned my Twitter handle on the back here um, of the book and in my, my bio in the back, and I'm still waiting for Vanessa Hudgens to reply to one of my tweets. This book's been out for a couple months, Vanessa Hudgens. What's up? I don't know if she's a listener. I
1: don't track uh, ISPs, but maybe. So, I'll throw it out yeah. into the universe and see what happens. I'll do the best right. I can. <laughs> so, so Adam, thank you so much. Is there anything, you know, that I didn't ask or we didn't touch on that, you know, you want to drop some knowledge on or with us?
0: I guess, uh, one thing I'd like to close with, and it's a little random and especially since I just said no politics in my timeline, there is one thing I talk about and I'm wearing a shirt right now, the acoustic and my, my koozie here is the Fairfield theater company. These are both, uh, independent music venues by me. And right now, uh, independent music venues are in really terrible dire straits. And there is a bipartisan bill called the save our stages act that, uh, it's been on the floor for months and months and months and just has not been voted on. Hmm. And it would give, I I wanna get the number If I'm wrong on the number, I apologize. I think it's 10 billion to the independent music industry. And quite frankly, we need it. Um, Places like the acoustic, like FTC, like in the city, Arlene's Grocery, Rockwood Music Hall, Bowery Electric, Mercury Lounge, Pianos, all these places where, I said this in an article when the coronavirus actually first hit and we were having these issues. Um, if Stephanie Germanata does not have the bitter end to play in, Lady Gaga never exists. So we need these venues, the, the independent artists need these venues, and they have some really interesting statistics um, on the Save Our Stages Act uh, pages about how like $1 at a music venue, how much it means in terms of transportation, lodging, food, all these other all these other businesses that's, you know, thrive because of these independent music venues. So if, if you wanna, you know, hopefully when this this airs, this won't even be an issue and the bill will have passed. But if not, you can look up hashtag save our stages and, and hopefully save our stages. And I will say I had nothing to do with the actual writing of that or, or, or anything. It's just something that I really hope passes. And I really hope um, all these places that I've called home for the past 20 years can continue to exist. I mean, I literally live like less than five minutes from the acoustic and I've been there going to shows there for all of my adult life. And it's, it's one of these things where if it's a Tuesday and I'm like, I don't know any of the bands on that bill. I'll pay my 10 bucks. I'll go in and you know what? Oftentimes one of those bands, two of those bands, I'll discover someone great. I'll write about them. And you know, it, it goes on from there. Mm. So hopefully that can happen and hopefully more great music on Adamsworldblog.com. world <laughs> Knock that in there at the end. That's the website. Nicely and, done. And that's also why it's at Adams world blog on Twitter. And yeah. And if you're on any site where you can buy books. Kimbro Embracing Beast Mode to Be Cancer is available now and it's uh 10 bucks on Amazon for the paperback and I believe 2.99 for the Kindle. So- that sounds
1: right. I think I haven't looked in a while since I bought it, but I think that's about right. But I will um, when we air the show which won't be, you know, right now, I'll just I'll be honest, we're recording late December, but it'll be in the first couple of weeks in January. So you're cool. up early in season two. So,
0: well, that's good because I mean, let's face it. We got Christmas and new year's. I don't know how many people are like checking for new content right now. Hopefully they're spending time with their families.
1: Yeah. Right. We would hope, but I will find, uh, right before we, uh, hit, when I hit submit or whatever, um, I'll check out save our stages and and I'll put uh, any information in there. So if people are interested when they listen they can you know and we post this on youtube as well so i'll include any links there so people can go and check it out and donate and yeah i out believe out as much
0: as they can i believe it's niv n-i-v-a or n-i-v-i-a the oh god it's it's yeah it's it's one of those but if you look up hashtag save our stages you'll find the actual comp the place that put it all together it, it's pretty interesting um i'm i was just like heartbroken the other day when uh my buddy who books Arlene's Grocery, they put up a post that was like, if we don't get funding, we're done in February. Hmm. And this was, this is a venue that was celebrating their 25th anniversary this year. Wow. And it's like, you have so much history right there. And you can't like, as a country, we can't let that die. Like our arts and culture are pretty much our number one export. You know, it's just- uh, Yeah, it's important
1: for sure. For yeah sure. we have i have friends that work on broadway in new york city too and seen, oh you know. they took such a hit yeah so yeah definitely so,
0: yeah definitely we, we need yeah we need all that influx what we just need is everything to be open again right
1: well <laughs> hopefully you know with the vaccine coming out and i'm hoping my
0: doctor know, like as yeah. soon as you get it
1: yeah right yeah just right it in there with everything else
0: yeah, exactly. Like, listen, I hate needles. I will take that one gladly. Just, you know, shoot me up twice and yeah. put me on my way. Right.
1: Well, Adam, thank you again for spending the time with us. I, and again, thank you for sharing your story, having the courage to do so and, and for sharing it with us today.
0: Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I appreciate it. Great conversation, great interview and uh, Hey man, continued success to you as well.
1: I'll thank you. I do what I can. You do it well. Thanks, man. We'll talk to you soon.
0: Have a great one. Bye.
1: Hey, everybody. It's Paul. Before I let you go, I just wanted to say thanks again for listening. Um, you've really made doing this podcast a very rewarding experience for me. Uh, I get a lot of messages from, from listeners. And, uh, you know, and Everyone has something nice to say, which I very much appreciate. Uh, of course, I'm always open to you know, uh, feedback on ways we can make it better. I mean, that's Kaizen, after all. And by no stretch do I claim to have got this all figured out. So if there's things that I could do better, please, by all means, uh, feel free to reach out and let me know. And likewise, if there's a somebody that you think would be a great guest, um, also let me know. Um, you know, There's a chance I don't know who those, who those folks are. So, somebody that you can help put us in touch with, you know, somebody you want to learn more about, certainly, let me know and I'll reach out uh, to those folks. But um, I hope you find the podcast fun and entertaining, uh, uh, educational, and and maybe even a little inspirational. I hope um, that's really what I'm I'm going after with this whole thing. So, thanks again, and uh, one small ask. Uh, if you don't mind, if you listen, you know, whatever your preferred platform is, if you could just, you know, subscribe, uh, give us five stars on Apple or, or whatever, again, whatever platform you listen to, it just, it, it helps, um, you know, the algorithms like it. So if you could do that for me, I would greatly appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you real soon. Thanks, everybody.